Three times in his speech, the second speech, he said it was God and not the brothers who sent him to end up there where he was ready with food during the famine to preserve life and, not, and to preserve the lives of the families who began the 12 tribes of Israel. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Red-Headed Preacher. Uh, my name is Richard Lanford. I am the Red-Headed Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. We are an open and affirming congregation in the UCC, and we've been in Skokie since 1867. Uh, this edition uh, finds Rich Schneider as our elector, reading from Genesis 45 and from Matthew 15. The sermon is called A Perspective in Providence, and keying on the Genesis 45 passage, I hope you find this podcast uplifting and enlightening. And without any further uh, conversation on my end, uh, let's go. Our first reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. Joseph had years before been sold into slavery by his brothers. Now years, and many changes later, the brothers returned to Egypt, the only place to get food during the famine. After Brother Judah, not knowing he was talking to Joseph, told him about the state of his family, especially his father and youngest son. Our story picks up. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me! So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so long that the Egyptians heard it, and the Pharaoh, the household of Pharaoh, heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they by his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in, these, in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there. 
since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. That ends the reading from Genesis. Today, our gospel passage is Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20. Then Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. Then he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. This ends the reading from Matthew and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God give us a wise and faithful understanding of this, God's word of life. Bruce Gillette, my seminary classmate and friend, posted this. I'd like to share it with you. It's called Fear by Khalil Gibran. It is said that before entering the sea, a river trembles with fear. She looks back at the path she has traveled, from the peaks of the mountains, the long winding road crossing forests and villages, and in front of her, she sees an ocean so vast that to enter there seems nothing more than to disappear forever. But there is no other way. The river cannot go back. Nobody can go back. To go back is impossible in existence. The river needs to take the risk of entering the ocean because only then will fear disappear. Because that's where the river will know it's not about disappearing into the ocean, but of becoming the ocean. It sounds like there is a bigger plan for the river to accept. The plan to transition, or be transitioned, into being part of the ocean. Fear is almost always a big dynamic. 
in change, growth, or moving on? Who wasn't at least a little afraid of their first day of high school, or on a new job, or coming into an unknown church for the first time one Sunday morning? For this river, it was on an even larger scale. Now, this sermon is not about fear or this river, but I share it because it relates, in a way, to something key in our Genesis story. God is at work. There is a larger plan or purpose laid out and guided by God. God provides for that. We call it providence. Some of you may recall my telling the story years ago of when I was ordained on December 16, 1984, the Reverend Dick Kazelka gave me the charge, and it had three points. One of them started as a little description of seemingly disconnected things happening that we can't control, uh, and then maybe coming together. I'm not quite sure about that part. And he said, luck is the greatest actor on the stage. And then he said, after a pause, Christians call it providence. To remember that throughout my ministry was one of the charges. Providence. Now, sometimes when something occurs which is so blessedly timed that it might show the hand of God at work before me, I'll think or say, ah, providence strikes again. Providence, like Khalil Gibran's reflection on fear and the river, calls you and me to see a bigger reality, purpose, and even identity at play than our own piece of the world. We may also be blessed to perceive that we play a role in this huge, long drama God is directing. I hope most of you are familiar with the story of Joseph, even if it is from the musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Joseph, one of two sons born to Jacob and his favorite wife, Rachel, was the apple of his father's eye, and the ten other brothers knew it. Benjamin came along a little later. He dreamt that one day his brothers would all bow down to him and honor him with servitude and praise. And he told his brothers about this dream. What was he thinking? Anyway, Jacob also gave him this famous coat uh, with very long sleeves. That's the correct translation, which many colors came from, but that's not a very good rendering. Uh, very long sleeves, quite honorific and special. And that further alienated brothers like Simeon, Issachar, Reuben, Levi, and the rest. So one day, all the brothers except Benjamin were out beyond the family land, and the brothers, long story short, beat Joseph up, tore his beloved cloak, got blood on it, and sold Joseph to a band of wandering Ishmaelites, who then ended up selling him into slavery in Egypt. The Midianites were also involved. Joseph, in Egypt, got in trouble uh, for being righteous while a servant in Potiphar's house. Um, Potiphar's wife wanted to do the nasty with him, and he said, that ain't right, and she cried sexual assault as a 
in anger, and he ended up in jail. There he befriended people and began to interpret dreams. One of those whose dreams he interpreted was freed, as he had dreamt, and he returned to work in Pharaoh's court. Then Pharaoh had a dream after many years no one could figure out, and then his former Sally remembered Joseph. Joseph was brought before Pharaoh, and he correctly interpreted the dream. And this is the dream that foresaw seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, as Joseph read it. And lo and behold, this he was correct, and this elevated him greatly in the eyes of Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. He became chief advisor and administrator of the food supply during the years of plenty, setting aside enough each year of plenty to feed people each year of the famine. So, over many years, Joseph went from brother to abandoned brother to jail slave to the right hand of Pharaoh. He never forgot his family, though, especially his beloved father and his baby brother Benjamin, with whom he shared the late Rachel as their mom. So he's been through a lot, beginning with the shocking betrayal by his brothers. When the famine arrived, it stretched beyond Egypt. So Jacob's sons, his brothers, long story short, came to buy food from Joseph and the Egyptians. And if you think this is a long story, it's really quite a bit more involved in the book of Genesis. They did not recognize Joseph. Then we come to chapter 45. As Walter Brueggemann wrote, everything before this, including the dream, has pointed to this chapter. The moving appeal of Judah, Genesis 44, triggers the disclosure scene. The dead is alive. The abandoned one has returned to power. The dream has had its way. And we know that Joseph did not plan revenge on his brothers. He had not nursed hatred in his heart over the years, or if he had, it died long ago. Here, this once humbled, abused, abandoned survivor pours out his heart to his brothers and his thinking, not only his heart, but his thinking to them. Brueggemann said, Joseph's speech is filled with passion. There is as much at stake for him as for the brothers and their father. So he begins by asking his brothers <coughs> some pressing questions. How is my brother? How is my father? Is he still alive? And he was met with dismay. Or perhaps better, they were dumbfounded. So Joseph switched it up. After saying who he was a second time, hmm, like the risen Jesus had to say peace to the disciples a second time. He told them not to be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. He continued, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his home. 
The brothers, who had brutally conspired against their younger brother, had sold him to strangers after throwing him into a pit and lied to their dad that he was killed by an animal and sent him into all these years of grief. They had indeed been bad actors. They sinned on multiple levels. Though there were no Ten Commandments or Torah, Moses was four centuries away. But somehow, somewhere, maybe at that moment, Joseph saw the ocean. He saw God's hand in a larger purpose none of them could have ever seen or known ahead of time. He saw providence at work. And that gave Joseph perspective on what happened and why. Three times in his speech, the second speech, he said it was God and not the brothers who sent him to end up there where he was ready with food during the famine to preserve life and, not, and to preserve the lives of the families who began the 12 tribes of Israel. Providence. Well, does providence mean that what you or I do, what you or I do, does not mean anything? If God's God's hand is working through things that we do, then does do we have no free will? Do we have no choices that impact others or on our society? No. There are different theologies about what providence is or is not, and how it interacts with human freedom of the will. Another way to ask the question is, what are we responsible for if God's providence will work out God's desires in the end? Well, one image of providence, and it isn't perfect, is that of a ship on the ocean. God is the captain who has charted the course of this boat, And there are guidelines, even laws for how to behave and treat others while on the boat, but the passengers and crew can do as they choose. And they do. And a lot of it may well be sinful, evil, and unpleasant. But that will not change the faith fact that God will ultimately bring the ship into the harbor. Brueggemann himself calls this interaction between human free will, and God's providence as a mystery. A perspective on providence, or in providence. That's what Joseph was blessed with. Maybe, as I said, maybe all of a sudden he could see it. And that's what got through to his unresponsive, dumbstruck siblings. God... Knowing a famine would come and threaten the offspring of Abraham and Sarah, to whom God had promised a land and a people who would one day be the source from which all the world would be blessed, to preserve them. Well, as Joseph saw it, God sent him ahead to be the one, to be in the right place at the right time to ensure their survival. Yes, but others as well. The Egyptians a long-term Jewish foe. It was not you who sent me here, but God, in service to a much larger providential picture or ocean or gospel.
Joseph's life became larger than what he had imagined. We can see how. In your own way, in your time on this earth, wearing the lenses of faith, is your life or has your life become larger than you imagined? Can you see God's hand at work in your past and present, and probably with the interactions with others, too, that brought about blessing to them or others or even you, which could have never been conceived before? Can you see God's providence over years, including suffering or hardship, even or heart, excuse me, I lost a word there. Let's begin the sentence again. Can you see God's providence over years, including suffering or hardship even, with your life revealing a purpose or purposes that now clearly, now, personally, you can see that with hindsight, that that's what God must have had in mind. Such a perspective in providence can be very personal and build up our faith. You know, Joseph lived to be over 100, so the arc of this story is not that long in human years or in the history of human people. It's, it's, not, it's not all that long. Decades for the purposes of providence worked out through human hands, but some desires of God can take hundreds of years, if not longer, like it did for the Hebrew descendants of Jacob's family to grow in numbers in Egypt and break free from slavery. Centuries. Providence did strike. Forty years then in the wilderness, but they did receive the law, and they did take the promised land. Another thousand years plus before Jesus, whom I believe is the fulfillment of God's pledge to Abram and Sarah. He was born, and by him the world is blessed. Perspectives in providence are not only personal, that's for sure. Now we 21st century Western humans are not generally patient people. One example, learning, relearning, and still learning. For example, the, the history of racism built into so many systems that oppressed and some still oppress African Americans, along with ongoing manifestations of Egypt. We understand why 55 years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a book called Why We Can't Wait and took white moderate clergy to task for sitting on their hands. Yet, waiting continues. As recently as a couple of months ago, a mortgage lender, Townstone Financial, is charged now by the Consumer Federal Protection Bureau for racist mortgage practices. And a local iron company, General Iron, plans to move a toxic factory and is the object of a complaint by several Southeast Chicago neighborhood groups. And, it, and that it's in violation of the FHA laws of the 60s. Well, that's ringing, 
it, that people, that part of Chicago is primarily people of color. Environmental racism is what that's called. Waiting. Plus COVID-19. They've revealed the great imbalances in education, investment, and healthcare in the parts of the city mostly populated by people of color. Waiting, patience, God's providence, perspectives in it, there still seems to be not only just waiting, but in our Kairos moment, which is a special season where sometimes the Celtic Christians might call this a thin place where you're so close to the presence of God in our Kairos moment where grace is definitely at work, where more persons who are not people of color are listening, learning, and seeking to act as allies to transform both the legacies and current policies of systematic racism. Is there a perspective in Providence for us? Or climate change? Is there a perspective in Providence for us to join in taking that on? Does it not give us a chance to make ourselves available to serve God's long arc hopes for what is just, loving, and peaceful for all? Was St. Peter's of Skokie possibly always intended since 1867 to be such allies. Might this now be our purpose in the providence of God? As young Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this edition of The Red-Headed Preacher. I always appreciate those who tune in and, and those who follow. It's a great blessing. And I hope you found listening uh, to this or some of the other podcasts to be a blessing. You know, if you do um, have more time that to, that to actually sit down and, and watch a video, uh, St. Peter's does have a YouTube channel, and uh, we've been recording the full service uh, from which these podcasts uh, obviously are the sermon and the scriptures from. And it's uh, St. Peter UCC Skokie, all one word. And that's our YouTube channel, and uh, that's just something else to check out if you want some uh, audio. Uh, excuse me if you want some visual to go with your audio. I'll stop talking uh, so you can get on with the rest of your day or evening. God bless you for listening, and God bless your week. Amen.